Turn with me to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. We'd like for you to remain standing. Praise God. 2 Timothy 3, and we want to read down through verse 7. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, furious, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and led captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. All right, you may be seated. I want to speak today from verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I'd like to speak on the subject, misappropriated knowledge. Now, misappropriated knowledge is a term that uh, you would normally use when you take something that you know that is good and you pervert it into destructive uh, forces or destructive powers. We hear the term misappropriated funds a lot. And we hear it from the standpoint of uh, the political world, from the political world. People uh, take funds that are appropriated or allocated for a certain use, and they use them for selfish benefits or for their own personal benefit. Now, in the Bible, uh, it is clearly stated that God is omniscient. That simply means that God knows everything. There is not anything that God does not know. Now, we find throughout the Scripture many, many examples of the all-knowing God in operation. He is able to, to know everything that happens at all times. Now, there is one thing that you will find about the devil. He is very brilliant, but he does not know everything. He does not know everything. And God is able to outwit the devil. The Bible tells us that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Now, that doesn't mean that God is foolish, but that's just a term. That's just a term that's used as comparison. That, uh, that uh, God is so knowledgeable and knows everything thing to the extent that uh, 
if you were to subtract 95% of his knowledge and leave him with only 5% of what he presently knows, it's, it would make the knowledge of men and the knowledge of the devil uh, appear to be foolish. You know, God is just such a great God and such an all-knowing God. He knows everything that, that, that happens. He is also able to read even into the future and know things that will take place in the future. Now, what I'd like to do, I would like for you to turn with me, if you would, to Genesis, the sixth chapter, and we want to leave this subject hanging here for a minute, and we want to take a look at a condition in Genesis 6. Now, Genesis 6 is dealing with the the time just prior to the flood that took place in the days of Noah. Now, the reason why that I want to go back there is because that Timothy makes reference to the last days. And he said, perilous times shall come. Dangerous times. I preached a message here on perilous times. And, of course, uh, uh, the word perilous as translated in the English language is found only one time, and that is there in Second Timothy 3. But a similar term, uh, a similar term, another term is used, but it's taken from the very same Greek word back in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus uh, calmed the devil and cast out the devil from the man at, or the men at Gadara. And, of course, the Bible says that these men were extremely savage in their nature. And, of course, the same Greek term is used there that's used in Second Timothy 3 that's translated perilous. Now, let's look at Genesis 6 because Jesus in Matthew 24 prophesied that the last days would be equivalent to the days of the flood. The days of Noah are compared to the days of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ or the last days prior to tribulation and the wrath of God that's coming upon the face of the earth. In Genesis 6, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Now when we compare, when we look at what takes place here on the face of the earth, uh, the Bible is saying that there is the breaking down, there is the compromise of men of God and men of the world. And so they intermarry. The scripture definitely states uh, that uh, it is wrong for Christians and non-Christians to be married together in... Uh, in, um, or to be married. They, they just do not have a point of compatibility. And so because that 
that there is a clear separation in the Scripture between righteousness and unrighteousness, between evil and good, between light and dark. Uh, it, it is always... It is always God's will that Christians uh, remain Christians and that they marry Christians and people who are not Christian, that they marry non-Christians. Now, what happened in the days of Noah, there was a big compromise that took place. By that we mean that uh, the people of God did not see the importance of, of separation. And I am here to tell you that I am, indeed, a fundamental preacher that does believe in separation from the world. I say that if you're going to a church, and when you took up membership with that church, or however you uh, became affiliated with that church, if your lifestyle did not change, then the church is not serving its purpose in your life. Because an encounter with Jesus Christ will change your life. And if in your church where you attend, if there is no separation in the lifestyle of the members of your church and the lifestyle of the rank and file of the world, then the church is not serving its God-given purpose on the earth. And if your preacher is not preaching a message of separation, he is not indeed a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the gospel does change and make a new creature out of you. Now, they began to marry, and after a while, there was the diluting of the breaking down of the compromising of faith in the earth. Now, the Bible says there were giants in the earth in those days, and as far as I can see, the Hebrew word giant here does not just mean men of great stature, but it simply means people who are totally different. They are just absolutely different from all of the uh, all of their uh, ancestors they they just don't think like they used to think they don't act like they used to act they don't even look like they used to look and the word giant here is really meaning an odyssey something that's totally odd something that's uh, something that's that's uh, uh, not quite right. Uh, so there were giants in the earth in those days. Now, the Bible tells us that these men, however, were mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Now, the Scripture is actually saying that there was an increase of knowledge in the earth in the days of Noah. Now, we know that, that Noah was a very knowledgeable man. The Bible tells us in, in Genesis 8, uh, 6 verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now God made man in his own likeness and his own image. Now contrary to what maybe some of you think, when God made Adam and placed him in the garden, he was indeed an intelligent individual. Now he was made in the likeness and in the image of God. And God imputed right into this man, the first man who ever walked upon the face of the earth, uh, knowledge. Now, naturally, his knowledge was limited because he did not altogether have all the qualities of God, but he was made in his likeness or in his image. The Bible tells us that Adam was to rule over the earth and have dominion over all of the beasts of the earth. 
Adam was responsible for naming all of the animals that were placed upon the earth. Now, you may say, according to ancient history, we have, we have positive proof, Brother Grant, that there were civilizations that did not know how to write. Some did not know how to communicate with each other. That may be true. But I can assure you that all of this came upon the face of the earth through the destructive forces of sin. The devil took people in bondage, not God. And you've got to remember one thing about the nature of the devil. The Bible tells us in John 10, verse 10, the devil or the enemy, he cometh not but to kill and steal and destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Now, Noah was a knowledgeable individual. God gave him this particular fact. Of, uh, this particular task. Uh, the B Bible says that God told Noah, Make an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within, and pitch it without. In other words, he was to seal it, just like we take in, and uh, seal our building with paint. Noah had to, a job of sealing the ark. He painted it inside, and he painted it on the outside. And, of course, he used the, the minerals in, in all probability that, that uh, comes from uh, wood itself. And uh, so Noah painted this ark up real nice, inside and out. Now, if you will notice verse 15 of chapter 6, the Bible says, And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubics. Now, 300 cubics, according to our present-day uh, system of measuring, would be 450 feet long. Now, this building, from the very back wall back here to the back inside of the nursery, if you want to just take a look at this, this building right now, from the very back wall to here, is 90 feet long. Now, that simply means that Noah made the ark five times longer than Calvary Gospel Church. Now, that's, uh, that's quite a distance. Uh, five times longer than from the back wall here to the back wall. He made it five times longer than this. Now, Noah, you will find one thing about God when God performed the miraculous... I say when God performed the miraculous, God always used his own power separate and apart from human power or human knowledge. But God did allow great men to accomplish great things through the knowledge that he had given them. Now, I personally just believe that Noah was a smart man. That, that God just gave him the blueprint and told him, said, now this is what we want you to do. We want you to build it this long, 450 feet long. In other words, we want you to build it five times longer than the plan of Calvary Gospel Church that will be initiated in 1969. Now, <clears throat> so, in other words, when our men set out to build this building, the truth of the matter is, we had we had a couple of men in our church who designed this building. Brother Manley and Brother Ken Armstrong designed this building and worked on this building. Neither one of them, however, 
were able to do all the engineering of the building. That just simply means that they weren't qualified to do the engineering of the building. Now, that's not to say that these men were not smart. Brother Manley and Brother Ken Armstrong are some of the smartest men that I know of. But uh, the situation is that when Noah set out to build it, God said, now I want you to build it five times longer than Calvary Gospel Church. And Noah, you've got all the smarts to do it. Now that's what I'm simply saying. When this bill was building was built in 1969, we didn't have anybody here smart enough to put it all together. But Noah was smart enough to build one five times bigger than this building. Now, he must have had something upstairs. He was a smart man. Now, I'm sure that if you look throughout the rank and file of the United Pentecostal Church, you'll find men who are indeed able to build any building that you could put upon the face of the earth. We have several architects and several engineers. Now, Noah was to build it this, this big. Now, he was also to make it 50 cubics wide. Now, 50 cubics wide is 150 feet. Now, this building is 40 feet on the outside, and so he was to make it approximately four times wider than what this building is. So you can, you can see that, uh, oh, wow, this is, you know, he's, he's going to make this thing big. Now, the thing about it is, that Noah had a job. I mean, he really had a job. He, he had a job indeed. That he just, uh, he, he was to put this thing together 50 cubics wide. I think it would be only about 75 feet wide. Wouldn't, is that right? And so it wouldn't be four times. It would actually be about one and a half times wider than this building. But uh, uh, Noah, had a, he had a job. Now, it has been calculated that as our world presently stands, that you could take all the species of all the animals in the earth and you could indeed put them in the ark along with enough food to last for a year. So if anybody has a question as to whether the ark was big enough to contain all the animals that were to be placed in there, indeed it was. It indeed was. And of course it was three stories high. It was about 45 feet high. Now this was not just a little boat that was to sail out you know, on waters, it was as big as a lot of modern ocean-going vessels today. Now, I said all of that, however, to to uh, uh, come back to to the original thought that that uh, that I had misappropriating knowledge. While Noah was doing something to save the world, the world was taking the knowledge they had and they were using it to destroy themselves. Now, if we look at, at what happened in the earth, notice what happened in Genesis 6 verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, when we say every imagination... That's exactly what the Bible means when it says every imagination. Even before an architect can put something on the drawing board, there must first be an idea in his mind. Now, when God gave Noah that idea and when he began to put it together, you see, God gave him a plan to save the world. But the problem with mankind in the days of Noah, 
that all of their imaginations, all of their thoughts were nothing but evil continually. Evil continually. Now, we'll just uh, uh, use for an example something that recently happened here in the earth that has indeed shaken the earth and and please understand that I am not a political figure and I am not in any way uh, saying what I'm uh, saying in order to, to gain some kind of a, uh, a political rank and file among uh, the Pentecostals. That's not it at all. But recently Russia bombed down Flight 007, which was a 747 Boeing uh, jet uh, Korean liner, uh, with 269 people aboard, 60 around 60 Americans died. Uh, they bombed this plane down. Now, there's been a big controversy over this. I, I, I don't know the facts, and I don't, I don't know that anybody really knows all the facts. I think they're trying to dig up the facts, but, but uh, we'll just uh, we'll just go on what uh, we have heard and and some of the possibilities. Okay. We'll talk about some of the possibilities. Of course, when these big jet liners fly, they don't just the the the. Uh, do we have any pilots here in the building? Anybody that has ever flown a plane, or you know much about a plane, and maybe some of you have. I'm, I don't think we have anybody that's ever flown a 747. But you know, if you uh, if you get out in the woods and you're hunting, quite often the hunter will pull out a compass. And uh, he will turn this thing, and he gets his bearing. He knows which direction. Now, please understand that when these pilots get in one of those big planes, they don't just pull out a compass out of their pocket and say, which way are we going? <laughs> you know, it's, it's different from that. While I have uh, not done a lot of studying, I, I have done some. And, of course, in the Boeing 747, as you know, there are three computers. They all do the same work. They say that's almost impossible for a big plane like this to fail. So what happens is when they leave, when they left Anchorage, the airport or the control tower at Anchorage constantly places, uh, puts out a, a beeper. And uh, the beeper works on the computer, and the computer controls the direction of the plane. And they stay... They stay on that beeper until such a time that they pass a midpoint or a point somewhere out in the ocean. And then from, from Korea, where they're flying, comes another beeper and the, the computers lock in on that beeper. If it's necessary to, to uh, change course, then naturally the plane will just automatically change course. You may say, why even have a pilot? Well, I can't figure that out either, but nevertheless... <laughs> Somebody has to talk to the passengers, you know. <clears throat> but, uh, no, he does have his work cut out for him. But And, of course, he could change direction if he wanted to. There are manual controls in which they can change direction. But, but uh, all of those flights are predetermined. Now, our State Department issued a statement that night that, that, that in which the plane went down, the day in which the plane went down, this is what they said. They said, we have had constant problems in that area because uh, of uh, the Soviet airspace being so close to commercial uh, routes. Now, the reason why they said they've had uh, trouble in, in that area, the State Department said, we know that the Soviets guard their airspace. 
And they issue international warnings all the time. Don't come near our airspace. We won't let you come near. We, we're, we're set up here. We're ready to blow you out of the sky. And this they are indeed ready to do. And they have proven that they not only are ready, but that they will do it. Now, the problem the State Department said is this, that, uh, that Russia constantly sends out simulated signals to intentionally draw people into restricted airspace. And that just simply means that uh, uh, they will listen constantly to the beepers that are coming out and they simulate these beepers while they're saying, now don't come into our area, our airspace. We don't want you over here. At the same time, they're sending out beepers. What they're saying said, come on, let us shoot you down. See? Now we're talking about misappropriated knowledge. Now, the reason why we know this has happened because some of our airplanes, some of our military airplanes, have indeed strayed over, and at the same time, they thought they were on course. And the way our State Department issued, the, the, the way our State Department proved that this was happening, they sent unarmed, unmanned, small aircraft into the area to see just how far set on automatic pilot just how far these planes would fly into Soviet space before they were downed. And so they would send them on a particular mission knowing full well that they would cross a simulated signal that would pull them into Soviet airspace. Of course, we had no fear because we didn't have any man aboard the plane. It was an automatic pilot type plane. And so there have been several experiments run in the area just to find out what was happening. This is how our State Department found out. This, was, this, was, this became knowledgeable the very day the plane was downed. And so as a result, we know that they're constantly sending out beepers to intentionally lure people over into the airspace that they say you better not come into. We don't want you over here. Now that's a crazy thing. And... Uh, if you have been doing any reading or if you've heard a lot, and uh, you, you know that, uh, that uh, this is one of the, the highly investigated routes that, that the State Department has taken. Did 007 know that he was lost indeed? And, of course, the pilots of the plane, after going into Soviet airspace for two hours, still contended, we are right on course. How did they feel and why did they feel they were on course? Now, I'm not saying the Soviets intentionally sent out a signal to lure 007, Flight 007, into Soviet airspace. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that the probability is there. Why? Because it has occurred not only one time, but many, many times in that area. Now, if this were indeed the case... All of which I'm saying it might be, it might not be the case. Doesn't it just seem strange that a nation would say, don't come across this restricted boundary because you'll be destroyed, and then they'll turn around and they'll say, come on. And not only will they say, come on, they will intentionally lure you to come over just so they can shoot you down. Now tell me, friend, what in the world is wrong with a nation or any man that would devise such a plan? 
Now, you see, God is the source of knowledge, and God gives man knowledge. And you see, God gave Noah the ingenuity. God gave Noah the, the wisdom. God gave Noah everything that Noah needed to build an ark that would save the world. At the same time, however, man, other men, they were knowledgeable. We can look at some of the great things in the planet Earth today. Sometimes we think that only in these last days have men been knowledgeable. That's not true. All along. Look at the great pyramids of Egypt. It is still at this particular time a, an engineering wonder as to how in the world that men, dating way back before Jesus ever walked upon the face of the earth, could put together such a... Uh, a structure as the pyramids. When I was in Europe this past year, I went into a church. I say went into a church. I actually didn't go into the church, but I, I went to the church. Uh, I believe it's a Catholic church that they have been having services in that Catholic church since 1409. That's every Sunday. That simply means this gigantic big structure that would put most American churches to shame as far as their uh, majestic uh, uh, engineering uh, abilities and such. Uh, it would put them to shame. And they have, been having, they have been having church in that building since before man even knew the world was round. And when you examine the walls and such of that structure, there's not a crack in it. They put it together. And listen, I, they didn't just get out there and start building. They know who the architects. They had plans and such to build those. You know, quite often, even young people look back at their, their, their dad and their grandfather and they think, oh, we're so smart. Listen, your grandfather was smart too. Where does all of this wisdom come from? It comes from God. Man was made in the likeness and the image of God. And you see, this was also true. But the problem was, because that evil got in the minds of man, their sole purpose in life was to take the knowledge they had and destroy mankind. Why? Because you see, that is the nature of the devil. Now the purpose of the devil is to destroy. The purpose of God is to save. When Jesus came, he said, I came not but to the lost tribe of the household of Israel. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when Jesus Christ ascended, he gave his disciples the commission. And this was the commission. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. That God's true disciples on the face of the earth have indeed a message of salvation for people today. And if you wonder why at Calvary Gospel Church we stand up and we preach against pornography, we preach against illicit sex, we preach against the movie houses, and we preach against a lot of things that people don't understand, it's simply because that our sole message is a message of salvation, a message to save a man. Now let's just take for, for a moment something. You know how pictures are made? Brother Felix has done, done a lot of study in photography, and I've seen some of his pictures, and he's done a remarkable job at taking pictures. 
But a, a camera at one time was a very, very simple thing. But yet, to, on the other hand, it's a, it's a very difficult process. Just on the front of the camera, there's a shutter that allows light to come in, and the image is transmitted from the light back into the camera. Later, it was placed on film. And, of course, according to our, our present uh, uh, method of taking pictures, it's much more complicated than that. But, but in essence, it, it is a fairly simple thing indeed. But uh, not only is man able to make pictures, I mean real live pictures, even some pictures that look better than the people they take. <laughs> I've seen a few pictures of myself that look better than me. And the color and such, they're able to frame, they're able to take and frame, uh, I say frame, they're able to take picture frame after frame after frame after frame after frame. And about the turn of the century, they put them all together and they called it moving pictures. That's where we get the word movie from. Do you realize how many frames have been shot in, in a reel this size? I don't have any idea, but we show some films here that last an hour long. You think about all of the pictures that have been taken and put together there to make that thing move. Now, then man comes along because his mind is evil. What does he want to do then? Then he takes pictures of bad things, things that ought not be shown. And because it's such a fascination to people, then they take and show them in the movie houses. After a while, all the movie houses are doing nothing but showing R and X-rated pictures. Now, why are they doing this? Because the imagination of man's mind in the last days is equivalent to the days of Noah. It is nothing but evil continually. And, and, and this is the reason why I do a lot of preaching about television. Now, I do instruct our people that if they really want to be right in the eyes of God, they need to get rid of their television sets. Now, that doesn't mean that if you go over to a neighbor's home and he has a news program or something on, that you ought to turn your chair back the opposite direction and let him look that way and you talk to him this way. In other words, I'm not... But you see, this constant diet of all this evil stuff all the time, you may say, Brother Grant, everything on the television is not evil. Well, I'd be the first to say that. I would be the very first to say that. But you see, most cases you don't really know whether it's evil or bad until you've watched it, and if it's evil, then the damage has already been done. See? And, and it is it is strange how how the devil is into the the system of, of of technology. Now you know he's he's controlling the the system of technology in the world today. The same power that you can take to run a huge gigantic power plant, sometimes up to five years is also used in the military to destroy nations. You understand what I'm saying? Misappropriating knowledge. And you see, this is, this is what happens with, with the devil. Now, the Bible tells us in Matthew, the 7th chapter, and we'd like for you to just turn there with us for a moment. 
Matthew 7, 13. Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to life. Now there are two words that I want to call your attention to. One is destruction or death. The other is life. Before Moses died, he put this challenge before Israel. He said, now you need to choose today whether you want to live or die. He said, you follow God, you live. You follow the devil and you die. He said, while it is a choice between God and the devil, it's also a choice between life and death. That there are certain things that you choose that you always have to live with the consequences of that choice. And if you choose God, the consequences, the aftermath, it's, it's life. But if you choose the devil, the consequences are destruction and death. And you, you just can't get out of that. Everything that you have, everything you touch, every choice you make has a consequence. You buy a car, you have to live with the payment. Not only with the payment, but you also have to live with whatever you bought. You buy a home and you have to live with the payment plus everything that's there. Every choice in life you make. If you marry a wife, it's for better or for worse. At least that's what the preacher told me. <clears throat> See? I mean, every choice you make in this world, you have to live with the consequences of that choice. And Jesus is saying, hey, there are two ways that man can go. There is the broad way and there's a narrow way. I, I like to, to look at it uh, like a two-lane highway. There's one lane that's going this way and there's one lane that's going this way. One of it's a narrow lane, however, and a straight lane. The other one, having a straight center line, however, it, uh, it's broad and people are traveling in the opposite direction. The reason why Christians get plastered sometimes is because they get over in the other lane where people are going the wrong direction. I'm serious with you. And the reason why that, that sometimes people of the world get plastered is because they get over in the straight lane. God pulls them over with conviction. And this is the reason why they feel like they've been run over by a semi when God gets a hold of them. Isn't that right? You know that's true. You let a man come under conviction, and sometimes it takes him two or three days uh, to, to even gain his composure. I've had people say, well, just let me get it all together. Why are they feeling this way? Because they got plastered by God when they got on the wrong lane, or the right lane, maybe I should say. At least the different lane what they've been traveling. Now, let me just explain something here in the brief moments that I have to, in finishing this message that I feel that's very, very important for you to understand. Very important. You see, for a long time in America, there were a lot of principles that I call principles of goodness. Now, that just simply means that, that the principles were taken out of the Word of God. You know, George Washington, the first president, when he was inaugurated as president, he held the Bible in his hand. He kissed the Bible. And it was upon the Word of God that our, our nation was founded. Now, I believe that. That's why on the coins it still says, In God we trust. 
I don't really know if it's making a true statement, but nevertheless, I'm still glad it's there. I don't think most people who spend that believe that. We pledge allegiance to the flag, one nation under God. But yet we won't let our public schools teach anything about religion nor even pray. Sounds like we're really under God, doesn't it? See? Now, you see what happens in, in, in certain nations. There are elements of goodness that are taught. You take uh, several years ago, two men, let's say, get involved in some kind of a skirmish with each other, have a disagreement. There are limits to, to uh, what uh, they will do. Uh, they will get out and they, they will uh, maybe fight on the street. Let's say two men get in a fight. You know, there's something inside of him that stops him. What stops him from blowing the man's brains off? What stops him from pulling out a knife? From his youth, there have been principles of goodness taught to this man. Now, you know, the reason why they're so hard to deal with the communists, now I'm just going to tell you, it's because they have no set values of morality or care for human life. Now, to give you an example, huh, there was an armistice signed between North Korea and South Korea. That simply means a peace treaty. But the truth of the matter is, we have 50,000 men staged on the line between North Korea and South Korea, and we probably will until Jesus comes simply because they, they say, we want peace, so we sign an armistice, but we've got to keep 50,000 men there to make sure that, that they keep their word. You follow what I'm saying? Now, why do people develop this problem? Because they have no element of goodness in them. Now, let me just explain something here. We've got the straight way, and we've got the narrow way. And you'll take a lot of people, listen to me, a lot of people when that, that they live kind of on, on the middle of the line. They're there. And, and, and there is an element of goodness in them, and yet they're not really sold out for the Lord. And then there is also an element of bad in them. They want to fight, but there's limits to their fighting. You know, they want to do wrong, but there are limits to, to, their, to their iniquity. But you see, what's happening in our world today is that the further over into the lane of sin that you get, the more prone you are to follow the very purpose of he who sets the pattern of the lane, who sets the flow. And the purpose of the devil is to destroy And you will find people, there are a lot of Christians, and listen to me, there are a lot of Christians who are nothing but just pew warmers. I mean, they, good on, they do good on Sunday. They leave a warm spot about this big around or whatever on the pew. And it's good to see their face. But even though they're on God's side, they're not really with the flow of He who sets the purpose. And so as a result, they're just not sold out. You see? Now, 
If they were to get sold out, you would find their lifestyle to change drastically. And the whole purpose of their life would be to do good, to speak good, to be a peacemaker among the brethren, and to see that they're saved and their household is saved and their neighbors are saved. But you let them get cold, or even colder than what they are, and after a while, they will not only seek fellowship with the wrong crowd, they will also lure that individual into doing something that is extremely sinful. See? Now the whole problem that you will find, let me tell you, is this, that you cannot control sin. You think you can, but you can't. No, you can't. You go down to the to the ocean. I used to live by the ocean. If you don't know how to swim, don't go wading in shallow water. And they have signs all along on the beach. If you don't know how to swim, don't wade in shallow water. Why? Because, you see, the waves come in. And when the waves come in, maybe you're wading up to your knees. Some of those waves are head high. They'll knock you forward. They'll knock you toward land. But remember, that same wave that goes in is also going to go back out. And so the water will go way up there on the shoreline. But all of a sudden, that wave that splashed pulls back out the other way. And do you know what? Something about the waves, they always pull out further than they push in. And so if you don't know how to swim, don't wade in water up to your knees. Because what's going to happen is there's going to be a wave that's going to knock you over. And when it pulls back, it will pull you back. It will suck you out in water that's over your head. And this is the problem a lot of time with people. They, they don't really want to get all the way in. They don't really want to live according to the purpose of Jesus. And so they want to dilly-dally around in sinful things. But please understand, he who charters the course of the broad way and sets the pace, he also sets the purpose. And friend, you'll be sucked into something over your head. And that means death for sure. Technology of our world is awesome. And you see, this is what Paul was instructing Timothy in. They're ever learning. Where do they get their knowledge? From God. But because their imaginations are continually evil, they misappropriate that knowledge. And they devise sinful things to destroy you. And if I understand what I am reading here, one of the greatest devices, lovers of pleasure. Do you believe America's pleasure man? Why, there are people who will travel all the way across the USA to see a ball game. And you invite them five blocks to church and they say, you mean all the way down there to church? That's a long ways. Really? 
I don't know how many people we have from the west side, Brother and Sister Juno have been driving from Middleton for years. But he's told me, I've asked people over there, and they say, you go all the way over to east side? But to the UW football game, they don't say, you mean all the way downtown? Friend, it's all the way across the USA. They don't care. You know? You mean you're going to go out in bad rain to church? And they'll sit in these ball games while it's coming a flood. <laughs> now, I know I used to be one. I know what I'm talking about. Now, I'd like for you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to, to the third chapter of the book of James. And I'd like for you to, be, I'd like for you to stand, if you would. I like this book of James. There's something about it that really appeals to me. James 3, <clears throat> verse 10. How the same mouth proceeded blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. In other words, you can't have two purposes in your life. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Question mark. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh water. Who is a wise man and endureth knowledge among you? Question mark. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. In other words, don't be so intrigued about knowledge if it's misappropriated. That's what he's saying. Don't be so fascinated by inventions that are not good. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Now I said that all knowledge came from God. You know why I said that? Because I believe it. But you see, wisdom and knowledge are so closely associated. Wisdom is knowing. Knowledge is how you use, or wisdom is how you use knowledge. It's the ability to use knowledge. So, all knowledge comes from God. Wisdom, as we would like to properly state it, comes from God also. But the vernacular in which he uses here, notice this wisdom descendeth not from above. The Bible actually describes this not as wisdom in other places, but as foolishness. It means you take knowledge that's, that, that was good, and you pervert it. You don't use it right. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. 
You know what I tell people? Listen to me. I give everybody here a sound, solid warning. If a brother or a sister, even though they be members of Calvary Gospel Church, and if you sit with them for Bible study, and if they're not peacemakers and they're not for the unity of the body, don't sit there and listen to what they have to say about the Bible because that knowledge can be misappropriated and an evil spirit can come upon you that will cause you to walk contradictory to that which you have learned. If they're a true blue child, a child of God, and if they have the purpose of Christ in mind, friend, they will stand for what He stands for and strive for what He strives for. And this is the Word of God. It's against envy and strife. If you sit at a table and the person you talk to is talking about Jesus at the same time, he can't speak good of his brother. He's not really on Jesus' side. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And you see, there are some people that just can't find good things to say about people. Stay away from them. They may be giving you a Bible study, but from the same fountain cannot come forth bitter and sweet water. Notice this. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Praise God. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Isn't that great? I say, isn't that great? You know, even when spiritual gifts are being manifested, even when we have people praying at the altar, and sometimes it's hard to determine, sometimes when people pray, as to whether they're praying because of the Holy Ghost or maybe because of a human spirit or because of some evil spirit. You know, the test I always run, listen to this. Is it pure? Feels all right. Is it peaceable? Can you feel the peace of God when it's being displayed? Is it gentle? Is it easy to be entreated? Is it full of mercy? Does it have good fruits? Is it without partiality? Is it without hypocrisy? You see, that's the wisdom that comes from above. You know, there's nothing, nothing in all the world so delightful as to come into the house of God and feel the presence of God. There's a sweet spirit here. We're going to give you a chance to pray at the conclusion of our service tonight, or today. Remember our service tonight at 7 o'clock. And we'd like for every person here to find a place to kneel and pray. We want to sing an old, old chorus that we've sung here so many, many times. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Praise God. And as we sing it, find a place to kneel and pray. If you're here for the first time and you need some counsel or you need some help, we have an altar down the front where you can come and kneel and pray and surrender your all indeed unto the Lord. We have Christian workers who'd be glad to come and pray with you. Peace, peace, 
Oh, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray. In phantomless billows of love.